0: good evening everyone probably as a result of your strong mindfulness and concentration you might have come to realize what the topic is going to be tonight (laughs) i wish i could surprise you but um my colleagues have taken my that away you got it it's wise speech right speech And I want to begin by uh, pointing out that uh, tomorrow is just the same practice that we've been doing or you've been doing for six weeks, close to six weeks, or close to three months. The only thing that's changing is the context, the context within which we're we're, um, exploring it. And at times tomorrow, we're going to be exploring the same practice, the same practice of mindfulness but it's gonna be at times in this context of speaking and listening. And that's what I'd like to share with you tonight is some reflections on this this practice. And just an encouragement to bring some curiosity to it. There's this wonderful momentum in your practice and it's such a precious opportunity to explore uh, this whole world of speaking and listening. Because if you're anything like me, I find this this realm so challenging in terms of being mindful. Uh, I, I could give you probably ten thousand stories of how um, of of my follies and uh, uh, falling down and getting up around this. And probably in the last few days, maybe longer, have you noticed? Have you noticed the thoughts and emotions? probably even the body sensations, arising just about the idea of tomorrow. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> just, just the idea of beginning to speak and connect with others. It's amazing, all the stories that can arise. Have you noticed that? I remember on a long retreat, it was, it was just like within the first couple of days I remember a strong feeling of dread arising at the idea of having to speak at the end of the retreat. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> and you've maybe have noticed, like I have noticed on retreats, the whole, the whole range of, of mind states and, and emotions that, that arise around this. There might be the feeling of uh, excitement arising with these stories, the wanting to connect, Or as I mentioned, the fear or the dread or not wanting even to engage. There might be wholesome qualities like the curiosity, the unwholesome avoidance. And then you might even have have, uh, felt some of the deeper wantings that can arise around this whole interpersonal realm. The wanting. The wanting to feel accepted. Accepted. But wanting the feeling of belonging. Maybe even a, a, a fear that, that pops up sometimes in, 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 in distorted ways. The fear of being hurt or rejected. The fear of being unacknowledged. And then this whole frame that we've spoken about, the, the, the whole frame of becoming, becoming someone. Wanting to be seen as this kind of person or that kind of person not wanting to be, see, be seen as this kind of person or that kind of person. It's amazing the complexities that you might have already noticed about tomorrow. And, and to re- remind you, tomorrow hasn't even happened. <laughs> it's just one big story, just, just a conglomerations of thoughts and sensations, emotions that cascade through this mind and body. And it, I, I, I think one thing that I, I feels important as you explore this in the next few days, is being sensitive to how we create others and ourselves, how confining that can be, and how it, it happens even before the first word is said or the first word is heard. There's some kind of creation that can happen. And again, I'm sure you've seen this around others the people that you haven't even spoken to that irritate you it's amazing the stories again that we tell or the people that you've fallen in love with it's unbelievable you see them and it's like you've already planned the wedding (laughs) or if not that at least the the wedding night What comes to my mind around this, this act that our minds do of creating one another is a, a, a story I heard, um, I think it, this took place at Amravati. There was um, a nun there who had gone back to her family for a family visit, and the last time she had seen her parents, her father was so upset at her for getting ordained that he demanded that she wear a hat the entire time that she was home. It was just, it was a tough situation. And she was coming up to, um, once again, go back home for a a home visit. And so she asked Ajahn Sumedho for some advice about how to deal with this situation. And he just said three words. Don't create him. I think it's great advice not to create the person in front of us, not to get hooked by those stories. And of course, it's true, tomorrow the mind is still gonna create those stories about ourselves and others creating these selves. So it's, it's really more precisely just to begin to notice them because with the noticing, our hearts and mind aren't as hooked by that. And then and then there can be this more authentic connecting, this showing up in a different way. And I, I'm not asking you to, to look for perfection in this world or in this realm, but just the, the opening up the space for a different way of, of connecting in the next few days, being aware of this creating. And really what I'm speaking about is, is this mindfulness, mindfulness of states of mind or qualities of heart, or this act of becoming and creating. I, I, I find it so helpful in, in this realm of speaking and listening. And I, I mention this because I think all of us know this here, that, that our words and our communication, they're powerful. Words, they support and heal and awaken, but at the same time, they can harm and hurt in such damaging ways. And probably all of us, or most of us here, probably all of us, you've experienced both of these aspects of, of speaking. Like right now, can you think of a time in your life when when the words of someone else have been extremely helpful to you. It could have been a close friend or a partner, just those few words that they shared with you, a teacher or a colleague. And similarly, you have probably noticed that you too have offered words that have helped another person. that there was some kind of connection that was actually healing in some way. Chatting with someone or a friend going through a tough time. And then the opposite too, the times when someone has said something to you that was so hurtful, so painful. And when you've done the same as well. Saying those words where you wished you were able to remain silent instead. A number of years ago, on the anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, the, the former president, Bill Clinton, gave a really quite a striking speech. And I wanna share with you a brief, brief excerpt from it because I think it ties into to this whole theme of, of wise speech. He said, what we learned from Oklahoma City is not that we should gag each other or that we should reduce our passion for the positions we hold, but that the words we use really do matter because there's this vast echo chamber chamber, and they go across space and they fall on the serious and the delirious alike. They fall on the connected and the unhinged alike. I appreciate this metaphor. The, 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 words, the words you use really do matter because it's like there's this vast echo chamber that they that they come into and they and they go across space and they fall on all kinds of people in all kinds of situations it speaks to this quality that that we uh, have referred to every so often this quality of interdependence we live in a, an interdependent world and as a result of that It means that all the communication that you do in the next, even in the next few days, it echoes and reverberates in this vast echo chamber. I think sometimes uh, we can have the sense that that the world, that there's my world, and then there's the world out there. And they're kind of separate and they don't really influence each other so much. But I think to take wise speech seriously in a wise way, it's this understanding of interdependence, to understand this echo chamber. In other words, what you say and how you say it has a tremendous impact in this vast echo chamber that we find ourselves in. Some additional things that you might want to reflect upon or remember when you enter into this uh, realm tomorrow. Of course, the first thing I was talking about is, is really the basis, being aware of the states of mind that are fueling our, our speech. The Buddha gives us also some, uh, some some other suggestions, though. He says, speech practitioners possessing these five factors, speech This speech is well spoken, not badly spoken. It is blameless and beyond reproach by the wise. What are these five factors? It is spoken at the proper time. What is said is true. It is spoken gently. What is said is beneficial. It is spoken with a mind of loving kindness. Possessing these five factors, speech is well spoken, not badly spoken. It is blameless and beyond the reproach of the wise. We have these qualities. It, it's asking myself at times, is it true? What I'm about to say, is it, is it kind? Is it timely? Is it useful? And then is it gentle or affectionate, literally smooth? And I'm just going to share, you, share with you what I do. I actually scrunch the gentle and affectionate into kind, so I only have to remember four things rather than five. <laughs> now, maybe this isn't the best way to be a practitioner, but I like small lists rather than big ones. <laughs> so is it true? Is it kind? Is it timely? Is it useful? For those of us with not good memories. And I want to go through uh, these with you. Just one way to uh, reflect on these these qualities. Uh, is it true uh, what we're saying? Yeah. Bhikkhu Bodhi points out, when we commit to speaking the truth, we begin to connect with the truth. We begin to delve into what is true. really pointing out that when we're on this uh, this path where we're engaging in living the truth living in a- a- accordance with the way things are one of the things we're trying to bring into harmony with that is our speech for our speech to reflect that and what struck me uh, struck me a-, a few nights ago is when rebecca uh, shared her story about telling the truth about her windshield and what was so moving to me about it was to see that, that, that truth was far more important and had a deeper significance than um, getting the good deal. And so often it's the good deal that hooks us, but it really doesn't have the value that actually truth does, to, 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 that, that uh, speaking the truth does. Can you investigate this you, just in the, the, the next few days? Is what you're saying, is it true? And I, I want to point out just speaking the truth is not necessarily skillful speech or wise speech. I can say something that's true, but if I have a, a quality of mind that's filled with, with anger or hatred, it can be incredibly quite hurtful or harmful. That's why we need these other, other qualities, especially the, the, the quality of kindness. And that's the next one, is is what you're saying, is it kind? Is there that quality of mind or heart there? I think one way to reflect on this or to explore this is um, uh, gaining skill in expressing, kind of you could say, flavors of kindness through our speech. One I think is which is so wonderful, which I think is a training, is just the, the kindness of gratitude. And specifics, specific things that we're grateful for in the the other person, not kind of vague platitudes, but the, the specific things that we're grateful for. And I want to point out, it can just be around really simple things, and I, I, I noticed how much it makes a difference. For example, just this past Sunday, I had a glitch in my computer, and I had to call a technician. And... I, I was so grateful. They really helped me with this computer. And so I really took the time and I said, you know, I, I am so grateful that you took this time to, to work this out. I'm, you know, I have a lot of work to do and what you did made a huge difference in my life today. And it really did. Did I have to do that? No. And I could tell he was uh, a bit surprised by that. I don't think he gets that kind of feedback a lot of times in his work. But there was something really true about that. And I was really grateful and it felt so good for me to express that. And also, I think it was, it was wonderful for him to receive that. Can you gain that, that skill or expressing other wholesome states or qualities of heart? Expressing sympathetic joy or compassion or even sometimes the qualities of generosity can seep through. And what comes, comes with uh, a speech that is kind is uh, not to engage in speech that is divisive, that divides. I want to share with you again what we find in the, uh, the Pali discourses of what the Buddha says about this. What a practitioner has heard here, they do not repeat there so as to cause dissension there. And what a practitioner has heard there, they do not repeat here, so as to cause dissension here. Thus, the practitioner unites those that are divided, and those that are united, they encourage. Concord gladdens them. This practitioner delights and rejoices in concord, and it is concord that they spread by their words. not using a language that, that that starts to divide. You know, one flavor of, of speech that we find this in is in gossip. It can feel so good, but the consequences can be so damaging. Where there can be a quality of a division, which is really, I think, what he's saying. When, when I've heard something here and then I speak it over there in a way to divide or cause dissension. And even, this is what strikes me too, in in another passage, even when another person speaks to us in an unskillful way, the the, the Buddha's strong encouragement uh, to, to continue with kind speech. Again, he says, practitioners, there are these five courses of speech that others use when they address you. Their speech may be timely or untimely, true or untrue, gentle or harsh, connected with good or harm, spoken with a mind of loving kindness or with inner hate. Here, practitioners, you should train yourself thus, in, in, in the context of all these flavors of, of, of speech spoken to us. Our minds will, will remain unaffected, and we shall utter no unskillful words. We shall abide compassionate for their welfare with a mind of loving kindness without inner hate. I find it a beautiful aspiration, that sense of having the strength to to act out of kindness and compassion, even when there's unskillful words uh, directed at us. And I want to point out kind speech, this aspect, uh, just to to take it to a more broader uh, context of our speaking. It's tricky, right, When, when you have to engage in a difficult conversation or when you need to speak out against something. In those, how do you engage in conversation that's not divisive? And I, I wanna point out that there's a difference between divisive speech and simply wanting to avoid conflict. So so refraining from divisive speech is different than wanting to avoid conflict. And refraining from divisive speech is different than not wanting others not wanting to make others feel uncomfortable. I want to point out that kind speech might actually lead to uncomfortable feelings and conflicts, but it doesn't mean it's divisive. And, and you find uh, the Buddha speaking about this once again in, in one of the discourses he's having a conversation with the Prince Abaya, who was the, the son of King Bimbasara. and uh, uh, Prince Abaya asked the Buddha uh, this question about wise speech about the um, uh, about this very question in the sense of of kind speech um, and also the sense of it uh, sometimes being disagreeable maybe at times and during the conversation uh, Prince Abaya is holding his child and so the, the the Buddha says let me ask you a question and you answer me and I'll I'll give use that as a way of explaining this to you and he says to Prince Abiyah, suppose that your child here had um, accidentally swallowed or gotten in their throat a stick or a pebble or a stone. What would you do? And Prince Abiah says, well, I would immediately try to take it out as, as, as best as I could. Even, I would do it even if it were to draw blood from my child, and, and the Buddha says, well, why is that? And he says, because it would be out of compassion for my child that I would do such a thing. And then the Buddha says, so too, Prince. Such speech as the Tathagata knows to be untrue, incorrect, and unbeneficial, and which is also unwelcome and disagreeable to others. Such speech the Tathagata does not utter. Yet... Such speech as the Tathagata knows to be true, correct, and beneficial, but which is unwelcome and disagreeable to others. The Tathagata knows the time to use such speech. Right, so, so there are times where we need to speak things that are unwelcome and disagreeable, but as long as they're, they're, they're true and correct and beneficial, we just need to find the right time. And I think one way to understand this in terms of difficult times, is can you have your eye on the greater harmony? And, and to remember, harmony is literally a concord of, of, of different sounds, different musical elements uh, fitting together. It, it's not just one tone. And, and you might notice, I know this is the case for me, that right, it's easy to, to, to sing along with a melody, but so much more difficult to sing the harmonies and to get the harmonies. This is really the intention. Can there be a, a, this, this uh, view on uh, the greater harmony? And sometimes to find a greater harmony, there has to be going through this chaotic phase of difficulty. Again, what's the quality of mind that's impelling it? For here, just to bring it back to here in the next few days, in terms of divisive speech, One of the things that I start to be sensitive to when I'm speaking is if I'm speaking about someone who's not in the room and I'm not speaking to them, then that's an alert for me. What am I I saying about them? Does it have the quality of divisiveness to it? I find it very helpful. You might want to become curious about that in the next few days it doesn't mean that you don't say anybody uh, say anything about someone who's not there it just means that there's more uh, more of a, a sensitivity around that and it's because w- what we say and how we say it has a great impact in this world it resonates in this vast echo chamber So we have the first two, is it true? Is it kind, what you're saying? And then, is it timely? How to understand is it timely? Is it timely for me to be saying this right now? Am I in the right space for this? One way I'm checking in with this is, yes, noticing if there's any unskillful qualities of mind that are present. Or another frame that I use is kind of a, a physiological frame. Is my, is my physiology activated? What I mean by activated, are there kind of states of mind that are much more around what would be called this, this threat response? The, the fear or the anger or wanting to lash out or the worry. You could say this, this system of self-protection, like this fight-flight system or even freezing. Because if I can start to be sensitive to that, it's, it's incredibly helpful. Because if that's there, um, literally literally, our brains think differently. I might have already mentioned this before. right? We have this system that's designed that, for example, if we're being chased by um, a cheetah or a mountain lion, having kind of a, a way of kind of reflecting in a broad manner is not the best way to think. <laughs> I want to know if I should go right or left, or if I should climb the tree. The thinking has to be really quick. But if that's the, the, the thinking that I have when I'm trying to converse with someone, it's not such a good thing. Because I can't think broadly. I can't hold different views. I'm just looking for the right view immediately. And you might notice this in tense conversations. The narrowing of how our brains work. And it's not only on the level of, of, of uh, what we're saying in, those, in that realm. L- literally, our, our eardrum changes when, we, um, when, when this th- threat response is there, when there's this kind of activation, when there's these ho- unwholesome mental states. For example, the eardrum changes so that we can hear lower tones. Why is that? Because of our history. It's sometimes good to hear the growling. <laughs> Before it gets to you. And as a result of that, a lot of times it takes the, 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 the eardrum out of the, um, this range, a little bit out of this range of hearing the, the prosody of the human voice or the, the, the subtle variations in the human voice. So literally, I can't hear someone as well when I'm in this space. My ears aren't, aren't, aren't uh, adjusted to it. It's, it's really helpful to take that into account. And of course, often, you know, in difficult times, we, we can't necessarily pick the time that we have to say something. But if I have an opportunity, then I'm going to be sensitive to that. In ter- terms of during these days of integration, just to remember, uh, uh, talking at the end of retreat can be immensely Intense. And it can be actually quite easily overwhelming. So just an encouragement to to stay in contact with the messages that your body is giving you. It can be very helpful to to take a break at at times. And in the context of this, I want to name this for the whole group, is it's really okay if you're in a a conversation with someone and... Uh, it, it just starts to feel overwhelming. You can simply say, you know, I'd love to talk more, but I need a break, and to bow. And then if someone does that to us, we know that it's just because it's this retreat environment that we're in. And if we have this common understanding, it really allows each of us the space to to take care of ourselves in the midst of conversation. So really feel free to do that, and also to honor that if if that arises so that we can support each other in finding the right time, the skillful time to speak and to also to, to, to take a break from speaking. And then in the broader context, I wanna talk about this reflection on uh, the right time. And some of this usefulness will come into of this reflection. And one example of this um, that happened for me, where where I really had to reflect on um, the right time and the and the if it was kind and true and, and useful. When I was uh, uh, getting my uh, my master's degree in counseling, I was doing my internship and uh, I was going around with the uh, the nurse of the university to share the services that were available to the students, and we were going to all of the, the dorms to share this with the, with the students. And the nurse and I saw a really uh, uh, an interesting um, dynamic that we made note of, that we were curious about and concerned about, is that many, not all of the dorms, but many of the dorms that we would go to, um, most of the student body in these dorms were... Um, it seemed to be that the students were either uh, Latino or African American, but what struck us is that often the what's called the RAs or the residence assistants, the students that were in charge of the dorms, were white, and it was just this pattern that we saw, and so we talked about it uh, amongst ourselves about this this dynamic of. Of this curiosity around it. And after talking uh, quite a bit about it, and actually I was, went to various professors about, about this just to get a broader perspective on it, um, I had the idea of, let's go talk to the housing administrator about this. And then they said, you know, <laughs> I don't know how well that's going to go. I and then they said, you know, I know her really well, so why don't I go with you as well? Because that's going to create the right environment. And then we actually thought a lot about the right time. Okay, we know that on this day, on Wednesday, she doesn't have a lot of meetings. And usually on this day, there's a lighter load. And this meet might be a good time for both of us to go in. And if we plan a meeting, then she's ready for that. So we put all of these situations in, in, in place. We, we reflected on the kindness of it to hold her in a particular way. Of course, the usefulness of, of, uh, of this conversation, which is so important in, in these kinds of situations and finding the right time. And so we went, went in there and uh, we sat down and uh, I shared with, with her what we were seeing. You know, here, here's this dynamic of, um, you know, the RAs, it seems like many of them white and the, the, the student body, um, a lot of it is uh, the majority, uh, it appears uh, Latino or African-American. And she leaned forward in her, uh, on her desk and she looked at me and she said, are you calling me a racist? <laughs> and then she said, and she said, you better watch it because I'm the one who gets the money and opens up this, this, this position for your internship. So I control that. <laughs> so it was an interesting conversation. <laughs> And then luckily, the, the nurse came in just to mediate it a little bit. Uh, and then we, we left. And, <laughs> and then I reflected on it. I realized that was a successful, wise speech. That was a success in terms of that. I couldn't control her response There was nothing that I could do about that. But when I reflected on it, both of us had taken so much time to see if we could put together the the, the causes and conditions to allow for something new to arise. And I I find this is important, especially when you're in the world. This is what counts so much is what's the motivation there? What are the things that that are fueling your speech in this way? And when they're there, to rejoice in that. That's a, that's a beautiful moment, regardless of the outcome. That speech, I think, still echoes in this vast echo, in, in this vast echo chamber. It resonates. And eventually, I think it leads in the right direction. Just one other thing about well, this is a little bit in the, well, you could say the, all of them. But just to create a, a, to bring forth another nuance, in some ways to further complicate this. This is such an art-wise speech. Also, it's not only being aware of the intentions or the the qualities of heart and mind that are fueling what I'm saying and seeing if it's true, if it's kind, it's timely, and it's useful clear about, you could say, the intention, but also in, in many situations being sensitive to um, the impact uh, that my words have. So I might have the best of intentions, really wholesome intentions, but the, the way my words land, there's a kind of harm that happens because I might not be seeing the situation very clearly. And it ends up feeling hurtful to the other person. You know, I, I know I've done this um, around when I've met someone and there's an assumption that I know how they identify in terms of gender. And usually there's a confinement that my mind does that they're either uh, a he or a she. Or I get uh, fooled by what I think maybe a man or a woman looks like. And it can be incredibly harmful and, and hurtful and, and, and those kinds of things. And I, I think it's a, a, an important learning curve that all of us have is, is the impact our words have in so many different ways. And I, I want to point out, you know, the, the part of this is, is just coming into connection with others so we can learn this whole, this whole realm. Uh, again, checking my intention when something like that happens. And also, I, I, I do kind of want to name the obvious because sometimes when we get ourselves in that situation, we can forget the obvious, is that it, it's often not very helpful to explain that it wasn't your intention to harm. A lot of times when we've been hurt, hearing that isn't, isn't so helpful. And what can be so helpful is to acknowledge the impact well, I, I am so sorry. I totally now I get I get how impactful my words were. Cause then there can be a coming together in some way. Can you acknowledge the impact rather than hide behind your intention? And then is is our speech useful? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it timely? And is it useful? And the Buddha talks about the opposite of, of useful language being idle chatter. And again, much of this comes down to what's, what's the quality of mind that's fueling what you're sharing. Sometimes we, we can engage in idle chatter just because there's a discomfort in being silent. And in order to navigate we, that we, we engage in idle chatter in a, a kind of an unskillful way. Or sometimes it's merely just to pass the time away. What's, what's the mind state that's motivating that speech? And again, I, what I want to point out often is it's not about what you know, the, the topic is. It, it, it's, it's what's fueling it. And the reason I mention this is I actually think there's a place for a kind of idle chatter that can be really helpful if the context is appropriate. And in, in, in one example of this, I, uh, it was many years ago, I was uh, traveling uh, from uh, the airport in Denver up into the Colorado mountains to officiate a wedding. And I was on this van with um, another woman and we got to talking about this and that. and. Um, I mentioned a, an environmental organization that I love to support, and it was like I had just named the devil. <laughs> this one woman just started to become furious about her experiences with this organization and how, what a horrible organization it was. And um, the conversation just went so sour after that, <laughs> it was bad. We just had a very different perspective on the air environment and human beings' relationship to the environment, and uh, yeah, it was getting bad. and And luckily, we both had the skill, at least, to uh, to to come back into silence, which was really helpful. <laughs> 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 and probably about fifteen, twenty, thirty minutes went by where we were silent with one another, and then, um, and I can't remember. She, she, she might have done this. I can't remember if it was me or her. It really might have been her that did this, which I was so appreciated. Of, is that she turned to me and then she just started talking about the weather with me, and I so appreciated it. And what started to happen is we started to chit chat about the most idle things, the most superficial things, and it was a really a powerful experience for both of us because there was this beautiful reconnecting that happened that here we were sitting uh, uh, close to one another with radically different views, and here we found a way of talking to allow us to connect. So to remember, it, it, so much of it's the intention rather than what it is. Uh, the weather can be the best conversation in some situations in a beautiful way, in an authentic and deep way of connecting. So again, what, what's, what's fueling our, our speech? So speech, is it? Is it true, is it kind, is it timely, is it useful? Becoming curious about that in the next few days, knowing that a, what you say and how you say it, it reverberates in this vast echo chamber that we find ourselves in. And then I wanna uh, share with you another form of communication, which I think is important in terms of, is it true, is it kind, is it timely, and is it useful? And that's silence. Silence really is another form of communication. And probably all of you are here because you know the power of this realm of silence. It can be so powerful in both ways. It can be so powerful in in very helpful ways, but also it can be incredibly powerful in harmful ways. So the skillful use of silence. Silence as restraint. I love silence as restraint. (laughs) It's probably saved my life so many times. I'm sure all of you can think of a time where you're about to say something and that just that stopping of not now. It's it's such a beautiful thing to offer. It's true in in the context of that, in the sense of non-harming. Some, things, some of the best things I've said were just the silence. <laughs> it's kind. Because often when I stop myself where there's a quality of restraint, where I'm resting in silence, there's, there's an eye on the greater sense of harmony of what I was talking about. That it's not just about what I want to say. And of course, it's, it's timely. It's not the right time to say what's on the tip of my tongue. And useful, there's so, much, uh, there's so much less regret when I can skillfully utilize silence in this way. Less regret for me and, and many times less harm for others. Silence is timely and useful and, and kind and true in other ways. It, it can provide others a space to speak. It can allow a different rhythm in the conversation a slower rhythm, a, a more reflective rhythm when we skillfully use silence in this way. Again, can you explore the skillful use of silence in the next few days? To see that too as a form of speech as a way of navigating connection and speaking and listening. But I also wanna point out that there's nothing wholly about silence It's not always true, kind, timely, and useful. Sometimes if you don't say something, more harm arises rather than less harm. The pastor Martin Niemöller uh, put this in very uh, dramatic uh, language because of his experience around this. He said, first they came for the communists and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me and there was no one left to speak out for me. it's It's interesting, you know later on in his life he spoke about the regret of of not speaking out earlier about what was going on in in Germany at the time and it's interesting you know he he spent uh, seven years in uh in, in Dachau and so- uh, Sachsenhausen, in those uh, concentration camps and And it's interesting that what tore him more than the experience in the concentration camps was his silence. And, of course, there was a time, what started to happen, actually, is he, was, um, he first supported the Nazi- Nazis and then started to speak out. But I think just those years of silence were, were so difficult for him. And it's true you, 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 in the sense of uh, our silences can sometimes perpetuate things, and I think it's important to be sensitive to that, of, of being sensitive to what we're not saying. Because not saying something does not get us off of the hook, I, r- I remember realizing this when I was um, after my uh, days of being a Zen monk in the uh, in the Zen community I was in, the Zen master I practiced with Joshu Suzaki Roshi had this horrendous history of sexual abuse and I remember uh, finding out about it, and I remember the importance, and it, it was such an important thing to actually just do this with all of, uh, all of us monks, us younger monks, got together and tried to write a letter about this. It was, again, you know, after many years of this being, trying to be addressed, and um, really tried to try to break this veil of silence. And immediately after that, it was amazing the clampdown that happened of the, the, the trying to reinstate the silence around the situation and kind of the message of, you know, either you leave or you, you deal with this. And even though there was uh, a, a kind of response that some of the, the the monks, especially the head monk at the time, was taking, which I really appreciated, it was still imperfect. And it was one of the reasons I, I left that community was it just was so unhealthy in that way. And I remember a few years after leaving, what was so striking to me was <coughs> realizing that I was out of the situation, which was so relieving, but just the, the fact that I was not talking about it was in many ways reinforcing it. And really realizing, wow, I have this, I have the privilege to remain silent. Because in some ways, this, I can remain silent; it's, it doesn't affect me because I'm not a part of the community. But then realizing that even being silent out of the community and being a part of the community previously was was a was a kind of harm, and that's when I realized what was started to be so important was just to begin to talk about this publicly about the harm that was happening, about about the history of, of Joshu Suzaki Roshi. Just to break that, dyna- that, that dynamic, because so often around these kinds of things, it's the dynamic of silence that perpetuates them. So it's very important, you know, as we move forward with our speaking, that we're also sensitive to the silence that we're engaging in. Is the silence that you're engaging in, it it, it might be the wholesome silence of restraint and support and kindness. And other times we might be uh, hiding in silence in a way where, where there's a need to say something and not saying something is more harmful. So again, just an encouragement, just to bring it back to these next few days, it's such a wonderful opportunity to explore mindful speech. What are the qualities of heart that's fueling your speech in the next few days? Is it true, is it kind, is it timely, is it useful? Can you be sensitive to to impact, the impact your words might have? So may our skill in wise speech that, that, that resonates in this vast echo chamber May it lead to the liberation of all beings. Thank you. Let's let's sit for a moment.